Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you today on this Wednesday, July 8th of 2020. And we are so glad to have each and every one of you listening, tuning in from whatever part of the world. We thank you for setting, taking the time to join us uh, as this is not just a, stu- uh, a study in the Word. This is something deeper. I mean, I really believe that God is using this podcast to speak in this hour uh, to the world, but especially for you of this nation. God, God is speaking us concerning the things that are taking place, uh, and we are speaking of them with a prophetic lens. And so we are delighted that you are with us, and, and I know that God is speaking. This week we began a series on the Song of Solomon. And I believe that the Lord has allowed us to glean some things that probably we have not considered. I would venture to say probably most of us never have considered or seen it this way. And what we are learning and what we are seeing is very deep, and it is so uh, relatable to the times that we are living in this hour. As always, it is a pleasure to be here with the uh, uh, panel, with Brother Marty, Brother Fernando, Brother Jeremiah, and to be able to study this word, especially in such a time like this. So, Brother Marty, I'll leave it to you uh, to share what God has placed in your heart today as we study the word of God together. Yes, praise the Lord. We're we're continuing with our study on the Song of Solomon. And this is podcast number three. If you're just joining us, uh, we pray that uh, you take the time uh, when you can to listen to part one and part two uh, to fill in much of the things that uh, we've already been discussing. And as we begin uh, podcast three, we're going to uh, revisit. We kind of touched on some things, but there was so much there that, that we really couldn't speak as we came to the end of our podcast yesterday. And, and we're going to look at, 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 at uh, these things in a much uh, more um, uh, in a slower way, I should say, so that we can dig out these truths and and really allow them to uh, to teach us uh, what it is that uh, that the Lord is revealing in this hour. We believe uh, through the Song of Solomon. And so, Brother Jeremy, I'm going to have you read um, a, a good portion of Scripture here. Uh, what we're going to cover today, and and I want to begin again with the. Uh, with the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse uh, 5. And would you read all the way to, uh, to verse 10? And if you have your Bibles, those of you that are listening, uh, we encourage you to open to Song of Solomon, chapter 2. We're going to be beginning with verse 5 through verse 10. And, and, um, and, and uh, Brother Jeremy, would you read us? The Lord blesses his word in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay me with flagons. Comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love, till he please. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself 
through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Praise God. We're going to continue to look today uh, from the very top part of verse 5 there where it says, uh, where she's speaking and she says, Stay me with flagons and comfort me with apples. Stay me with flagons and comfort me with apples. We're going to dig in a little bit deeper there. As we've been talking about uh, in in the Song of Solomon, the declaration of it is chapter 1, verse 1. It's called the Song of All Songs. And and therefore, it represents the ultimate uh presence, praise, worship of God. It's the culmination of all things. And it tells the story of of, of a bridegroom and his bride. And really, as, as we begin and have been discussing, it begins to really unfold uh, the taking of a Gentile bride uh, by the king, represented by Solomon. She is called the lily brought out from amongst the thorns. The thorns we talked about, uh, as as we've been discussing, is is figurative language that's being used. This poetic prose, the way that Solomon writes, it is not merely a romantic declaration, but it is indeed a, a prophecy revealed through the most descriptive and 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 beautiful uh, and passionate uh, language that uh, that we could explore, and we have to understand it as a metaphor, as well as an allegory, which teaches us the, the different ways in which he expresses the relationship between this bride, who is separate from the daughters of Jerusalem. In chapter 1, verse 5, she declares herself as being like the, from the tents of Kedar, uh, which, which, were, which was the son of, of, of Ishmael, which were outside of the covenant which was given to Abraham, and through his descendants by way of Isaac, which would become the nation of Israel. And so when Solomon presents her, it is prophetically speaking of, of one who is outside the blessing and the covenants of Israel, but one who he chooses to take to his bride, one whom Israel herself, portrayed by the phrase the daughters of Jerusalem, despises and, and really doesn't like her just as has been the conflict between the true church of Jesus Christ uh, and, and Israel today. She still has yet to, uh, uh, to, to fully accept her, her Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what this Song of Solomon is like. And like we've been talking about, it is written in the same way in many senses as the book of Revelation. And what I mean by that is that when you'll read it, you'll look at uh, big picture kind of stuff. You know, you'll hear these, uh, you, you'll you'll read these large, grand declarations in one chapter, and then the next chapter will will focus in on a more individual experience. And that's kind of how the Book of Revelation is written, because when John gives forth the par uh, the panorama of the large picture of of the end of days and the culmination of the return of the Lord. He'll do that in various chapters and then followed by the next couple chapters of dealing more with the more micro uh, investigative experience that will be happening under the context of the larger panorama or the bigger picture, if you will, as it pertains to prophecy. And so we encourage you to go back to part one and part two and uh, 
and and now we begin part three, and we're gonna re- we're gonna begin again where we we left off yesterday because <clears throat> she makes that statement: "Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I'm sick with love, or I'm lovesick." And as we briefly discussed yesterday, this statement that she makes in verse five is 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 uh, is preceded by what happened in verse four. And what happened in verse 4 is that she has been brought into his banqueting house. And as we've discussed, the banqueting house uh, is, is, is understood to be the place where a marriage contract or a marriage covenant is declared. And so as we were exploring this bride that he has selected, he now chooses her and brings her into the banqueting house, and he, he cuts a covenant with her. What he's literally doing is in, is becoming engaged to her. In the Jewish mind, that that pretty much seals the deal. I mean, it's his wife until uh, and 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 then he goes away from her and returns later to actually marry her publicly and consummate the marriage. But for all intents and purposes, she becomes his bride, his his engaged bride to be in the banqueting house. And that's what she experienced. She's overwhelmed with his love that he would select her and bring her to this place. And as we discussed, that's that's very much a prophecy of what would happen in, in, in the hundreds of years after Solomon, when the Lord at the, at the Last Supper, uh, is what we call it, or the Passover meal that he ate with his disciples, created a new covenant, a new and an everlasting covenant. And what he was in, 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 in essence doing there was cutting a new covenant or instituting a marriage contract for a new bride. That's what he did at the Last Supper. It's the marriage contract, and it was declared at the Last Supper, just as she's saying, he brought me into his banqueting house. So it's a prophecy of the bride that would be, that would be selected and then entered into a covenant with the Lord. And so... She then goes on to say that his banner over me is love. Because every time that you would enter into an engagement with a bride, you then had to pay a price for her. In tradition, you would give the price to her father, so to speak. And and that would that would seal the deal. He he now has redeemed her unto himself. And so when she declares his banner over me in love is love, what was actually being proclaimed was was what she says about him in such great swelling and overwhelming realization uh, that 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 the price was paid by him, and and we see that at Calvary's cross, the new covenant was declared on the night of the Passover meal, the Last Supper, but the price still had to be paid. It still wasn't official until a payment was made. That payment for us, because we are that bride, that Gentile bride was paid on Calvary when the Lord shed his blood. He 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 gave the price to redeem us unto himself. So this brings us to verse 5 where we are today. And we're going to go quickly today, but we're going to look at some things that we need to look at. Because what's revealed in verse 5 is that after the payment, after the banner over me is love, that is the symbol of his love to her. And we liken that to John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He paid for us in his blood. So that's what she's declaring. 
and, and she's overwhelmed by it, just as we were when we got saved. If you truly know him like that, then you know that when you came to Calvary, when you came to the cross, what you witnessed was, was the, the supreme act of love. And it's designed to seal permanently and forever our love and our consecration unto him. And as we go along in this chapter, what we'll see is such a tremendous level of affection and love and a depth of, of, of desire for her husband, for her king, for her bridegroom. And that's, that's the kind of relationship we're supposed to have. But from the prophetic, prophetic perspective, what we're looking at here is verse 5. Solomon goes on to reveal in, in the way that he's writing that though she's been brought into the banquet house, though she's been promised to be his bride, and he has paid the price, his banner over me is love. She suddenly makes the declaration, I am I'm lovesick. And and what was being revealed there is that is both his resurrection and his ascension. In other words, what she's literally declaring is that I'm now missing him. I come to the banquet house, he's paid the price for me, but now he's gone. And that's what she means by the by by the phrase, I'm I'm sick of love. I, I'm I'm missing him. When you get into those words there, you'll you'll see that what she's indicating is he's nowhere to be found. He he can't be found because he's gone away. And as we go on in the chapter, we'll see that indeed he's gone away, and she declares that. And 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 what was being revealed in the Song of Solomon there is that he indeed would pay the price only to go away. It reveals his resurrection. It reveals his ascension or going into heaven. And so that's why she makes that statement that she's overwhelmed with him going away. She begins to cry out of her need. Because when it says, I'm sick of love, it literally means she's brought to the point of travail and death without her king. She's known his love, his wooing, his promise to be with her price he pays for her and then he's gone and the and, and him being away and separated from her causes her to come to the point of absolute despair and the, and, a, and a real sense of i'm dying here without him mm. and so then she makes this statement she says stay me with flagons Comfort me with apples, for I am sick with love. I, I'm missing him. And the word stay me, like we talked about yesterday, she's overwhelmed when she makes this statement, and she cries out of her need. And she says, you need to hold me up. That's literally what it says. Stay me means to hold someone up or to sustain them, to keep them going. And she she comes to the conclusion that this is going to require two things. And it's very insightful because it's instructive to us as to what happened to the church when it was when he went away and what was necessary to bring the, the church into a place of being sustained, held up, and, and also comforted. Because she goes on to say, comfort me with apples. So the word stayed me means to hold me up and sustain me. And then she says this, with flagons. She, she understands what she's going to need. Now, remember, she's a Gentile bride, promised to her king. And so when she mentions flagons, it's very descriptive. 
descriptive and very insightful. Because flagons, uh, when you actually look it up, has two components to it. It literally means uh, to be either a, a flagon of wine or or a, or a cake uh, made up of raisins. Both come from the vine, right? Wine comes from the vine. Raisins come from from dried grapes, right? So what she's literally saying is that I need raisin cakes first and foremost in order to be sustained and held up. I need raisin cakes and wine. That's what she's talking about. That sounds kind of crazy if you're just listening to it, but I mean, again, we're talking about metaphor here. We're talking about descriptive language. So what is being revealed here is is very is, is really a cool thing because the raisin cakes they they come from uh, from dried grapes, <laughs> and and yet they come from the vineyard, right? You have to get grapes from the vineyard. So the descriptive language he's revealing here is that she needs to have uh, raisin cakes is what she's asking for from the vineyard. The vineyard that's being referenced is the vineyard that she's been brought into by the king. That vineyard is Israel. And the raisin cakes or the dried raisin cakes, uh, the first thing she says I'm going to need to sustain me is, is dried raisin cakes, but not without wine. Because a, 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 a raisin is made out of a dried grape. It is, it is a reference, if you can see it, to the Torah or to the Old Testament. She needs to begin to understand what her privileges are in the vineyard. She's not been raised around the vineyard, but she's now brought into it. She actually makes the statement in verse 5 about that. Uh, I'm not verse five in verse in chapter one of verse six. Can you read that brother Jeremy? What she says about the vineyard. Look not upon me because I am black because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard have I not kept. Basically I have never had a vineyard. I have never had a vineyard to take care of. I've, I've I've never had promises uh, of my own. All I've ever done is 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 basically be be under another vineyard. They made me to to uh, how she puts it there. They made me the keeper of the vineyard, or someone who 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 has no right to the vineyard, but in the descriptive language here, basically subservient to it, almost like a slave within it. Yeah. And that is what the Gentile nations were uh, before a bride was taken from them, the lily amongst the thorns. That's who she becomes. But when she comes into the vineyard, she has no reference point because she's never been a part of it and, nor considered of it. So she must begin her process by eating uh, dried <laughs> raisins, right, uh, from the vineyard, which represents the, the old covenant. Yes. As a keeper, all she had ever been was just a guard, like a guardian of it, but never had been, in other words, outside, like a guard of it. That's what it means. Keeper means to guard. And that's what right. she had been all before, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and again, but in the context that it's being used here, it's, it's, she's not a protector of the vineyard. 
You know, she, she, she's basically uh, a person that works within it or subservient to it, but never a partaker of it. And that's the, that's the sense that we have to view it from because when she cries and says, the only way I'm going to begin to even be sustained or held up with the absence of the bridegroom is to first begin to partake of, of, of these raisin cakes that come from a vineyard that I am now part of because I am, I am now promised to be his bride. And, and he is the owner of both, right? He's the owner of, of this Gentile lily of, amongst the thorns and the daughters of Jerusalem. He's going to make one church out of both of them, but she's being singled out and separated from them, and they don't like her. And now that he's gone, she has nothing, but she needs to begin her education process or she won't be able to sustain herself. And so the first thing she begins to partake of is the Torah or the Old Testament, as we call it, but it's dry. In other words, it has no light, and that's why she has to have the other component, which is the wine, which is the spirit. It is the spirit that begins to educate us. Because remember what the old timers used to say? In the Old, old Testament, we see Jesus concealed, right? But in the New Testament, we see him revealed. And so the first thing she begins and must begin is to begin to find him in the word that was established at her beginning. Remember when the church was born, there was no New Testament. It hadn't even been written yet, <laughs> right? So what Solomon is revealing here is that she's going to come into the vineyard, which is Israel, but she's going to need to be sustained and upheld by the knowledge that she will gain from it. And that's represented by these flagons, plural, that she's talking about, dried raisin cakes and, and wine. You need both. And so she's requesting illumination on the cakes or the fruit of the vineyard that she is now part of. And that's what began in the early church. They began to search the scriptures. They began to have the Holy Spirit, once he was poured out, reveal to them uh, the, Christ in them. So that's the first thing she asked, because she needs both. She needs the rice cake. She needs the wine. So first need is understanding, right? And, 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 and what she will find revealed in the Torah will only come by way of the wine, the Holy Spirit. That's what she begins to, to call out to. The second thing she says is comfort me with apples. That's the process. The first is you must begin to know, and that's what happened in the early church. They began to see Christ revealed, but then a, a refreshing, which is comfort and a rest. That's literally what the, what the word mean, comfort me means. It means to spread out a bed, to be at rest with what? With apples. And so the apples come next, and the apples are the fruit of of the apple tree, right? That, that's what that's how the Lord was described in verse three. He is the apple tree, right? He's the as the apple tree amongst the trees. So is my beloved amongst the sons. That's what we were reading. Uh, in yesterday's podcast, he is the original apple, but what was being prophesied here was the next thing, which would ultimately bring her refreshing and comfort and rest, would be multiple apples were about to be produced. Her first access point is the flagons. That's what's going to sustain her, but the ultimate comfort will come and peace 
when the apples are produced. That's the New Testament. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. This is how the church begins. It begins first with the cakes and the wine, right? That, that's the Torah enlightened by the Spirit. And then is produced the comfort where she comes to rest is in the New Testament. That's the apples. It comes from Jesus, right? So all of this is the work of the Spirit. And she's asking for this, right? He's gone. He's ascended into heaven. She's the beginning. She's been promised. This is the early church. And then, and then she begins to lament and say, I need to understand my benefits and what it is that I have now from this vineyard. And that is revealed to us in what she asks for. She asks for raisin cakes and wine, flagons. That's literally what it means. So she, she, needs, she understands, I'm going to need to be educated in, in, in the benefits of this vineyard. But without the spirit, without the wine, it's just dried grapes. It's, it's the law, it's the Torah, it's the prophets without the spirit. So she asks for both. And out of that understanding will flow the comfort, a bed of her own, which is the apples, which is the New Testament. That's the beginning of the early church. Remember, the flagons, they sustained her and upheld her. That's the law and the prophets. But the apples in, also can be understood in some way as the apostles of the Lord. Right. They're the apples <laughs> because they're the comfort to the church and they're the ones who brought forth the New Testament. And so when she says, I'm sick with love uh, to dig deeper as it pertains to prophetic revelation in, in this song, it, it, it can be likened. And now listen to what I'm about to say here, because remember, we're talking about the early church here. Why she is sick is because she has no no wine. She has no light. She has no comfort yet. That's why she's sick. She feels so alone, yet she knows what she needs. And so when she says, I'm sick with love, it can, and we're looking at it in the long term of, of church history now and what, what is actually being revealed here, that sick with love can be likened to that 10-day period in the upper room. And we were talking about that yesterday, but not at length, but we're going to talk about it like that right now. The only thing that will comfort and sustain the church, his beloved bride, is going to be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But this sick to the point of death after he ascends can be likened to the 10 days that they waited for the outpouring of the Spirit. 10 is a number of trial and, and, and so many other things and completion. She's not fully complete yet. But the fact that she's crying out for those two things indicates to us if you can see it, what Jesus told her when he left, told the church, you tarry here until you be endued with power from on high, until the Holy Spirit comes. You wait here. And so that's why she knows what to cry for. Ah, my goodness. Are you awake? <laughs> <laughs> that's why she knows what to say. She could have just simply said, I'm just lovesick and I miss him. No, but she, 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 she's saying something. Solomon's revealing something here. She knows what to say because he told her what to say. He told her you need to tarry here. And what did they do? They went into the upper room and they spent 10 days of intense seeking him. For what? For flagons and for apples. Yes. That's <laughs> what she's seeking for, right? The outpouring of the Spirit. And that's why there's not a very long period, but then we come to 
to the, because remember this, the Holy Spirit is the comforter, right? He's the sustainer. He's the one who, who guards our hearts and minds. He's our, he's the one that holds us up. He reveals Jesus in the old Testament and he comforts us in the revelation of Christ in the new. That is what keeps us and sustains us and refreshes us and brings us into that, that peace that passes understanding that, that rest, that comfort. And that's what happened in Acts chapter two, right? With the outpouring of the spirit. That's what we see in verse six. The answer comes. She knows what to ask for. That's the prayer in the upper room. Then the answer comes. Verse six. Can you read that, Jeremy? Yes. His left hand is uh, chapter two, right? Yes. His left hand is under my head and his right hand doth embrace me. Right. Now, now, now check this out. He's not there. So what is she talking about? He's not there. He's not going to be there for another like 10 verses, right? I mean, he's not there. But what do we learn from this? The spirit has come, right? Because it is from verse five, you know, we, we see her lament and crying out. That's the 10 days uh, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come at the beginning of the church. Remember, he's, she's already been promised to him. That's the Last Supper, the new covenant, right? The, the, the engagement contract. The dowry's been paid on the cross. His banner over me is love. She's a new church. She's his. She belongs to his. But then he goes away. And she begins to cry out, I'm sick with love. I miss him. But she knows what to ask for. How does she know? Well, we know from the book of Acts that she was told, the church was told, the only way you're going to be sustained and the only way you're going to be comforted is when the Holy Spirit comes. So that 10 days is why she's lamenting and crying out. She's travailing. That's literally what it means to be sick with love, to travail. That's what they were doing in the upper room. And then in verse 6, what Jeremy just read, he, she, he's described as his left hand is now under my head and his right hand doth embrace me. That's the law and the prophets being instructed and, and his right hand embracing is, is the revelation of the Old Testament into the New. It, it all began there with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But verse 6 is the answer to the prayer of verse 5. The Holy Spirit has now come. And note, the Holy Spirit reveals Christ Jesus to us. He always does, right? That's his job. He will reveal you to me. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak of himself. Right. He never draws attention to himself. His primary mission as it pertains to the church is to lead us and to guide us to Jesus, to reveal. He said, Jesus said of that, he said, he will take of mine and he will show it unto you. And that's why verse 6, he, she's lamenting. She knows what to ask for. And then when verse 6 comes, uh, she she refers it refers to the coming of the Holy Spirit as his left hand and his right hand, right? His left hand is under my head. His right hand does embrace me. Oh, come on, somebody. Mm. <laughs> it's the Amen. Spirit's job to reveal him. That's why she's yeah. addressing it as a his, as, as, as if he was there holding her head and as mm. if he was putting his arm around her because the Spirit has now come to her. And so now she, he's being revealed to her. Do you see it? Yes. Uh, so, so he comes, and 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 all right. Look, 
the Holy Spirit isn't so we can get goosebumps, right? I mean, it's not so we can run around in the church and and hold conferences called Holy Spirit conferences. That's not what the Holy Spirit's for. She reveals what he's for. He comes. And if if you actually know the Holy Spirit at any measure, then you know what he does is reveal Christ. He makes Jesus so real to us. Why do you think the devil has fought so hard in the falling away church in this country? To remove Christ from the pulpit. You rarely hear any messages on Jesus. You'll hear all kinds of topical preaching, successful preaching, sermons on healing, sermons on prayer, sermons on this, that, and the other. But when do you hear them talk about the Lord Jesus Christ? If you don't, then there's no spirit in it. There's no Holy Spirit in it. Because the Spirit has been sent to reveal him to us. And what she says in verse 6, is she now is aware of his left hand under her head and his and his right hand embracing her because he's come to her. And what was being revealed is that he would go away. She knows what to ask for. That's the 10 days, the early church, that 10-day period when Jesus ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives, that 10 days she's up there travailing and praying that the Spirit comes. And when the Spirit comes, suddenly she feels her Lord, his hands under my head, and, and his right hand's embracing me. The Spirit comes to reveal him in such a way that it, it's almost as if he's holding us. He's that close. How yeah. far are we away from that kind of revelation and understanding of our of our Lord by the Spirit? Paul said the Spirit was sent, and it seals our hearts. He seals our hearts as an right. earnest of our inheritance. It's the promise until the redemption of the purchased possession, right? When the Lord returns. Yes. Yes. But how far below the relationship with the Spirit of God are we? And you feel his left hand holding your head and his right hand embracing you? Is Jesus that real to you? Because if he isn't, then we're living far below what the intent of Christ sending the Spirit to us was all about. Because she's dying. And without him, she has no contentment, no joy. But her whole tone changes in verse 6 when she speaks of intimacy. His left hand's under my head. His right hand doth embrace me. If you can see it, this is the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is the infilling of the Spirit because now she is completely aware of his of her bridegroom as if he himself was holding her even though he's gone, just like the early church. Even though Jesus was gone, once that spirit came, they weren't the same. They went from being that 120 in the upper room, waiting for the spirit to come, lamenting, crying out, missing the Lord, to the spirit coming in verse 6, so real as if he was present with her. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us. That's why she calls him, his hand is under my head. His hand is embracing me. Once the Holy Spirit... Go ahead, brother. Yeah, you know, this kind of intimacy that you're talking about here is it's, it's not it's not preached anymore. I mean, to to hear about it, you got to really go back to the the old timers, you know, and read the yes. books of like, like E.M. Bounds or Ravenhill and 
you know, right. Brother Wilkerson and, and, and that kind of intimacy is what you mm-hmm. heard from America's pulpits in the past. Um, yeah. You know, it, we become so fresh and cool and cutting edge and, and <laughs> you know, it's to the point where we have no Holy Spirit. It, Jesus is not lifted up. Jesus is not uh, being ministered. Um, and, and so, therefore, you know, it tells you, that, and you said it earlier, you know, when is the last time you see Jesus ministered uh, in Christian television or, or behind the pulpit? You rarely hear his name mentioned or, mm. or, or, okay, maybe you hear his name mentioned, but when do we preach about him? Right. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll preach about the characters that he healed or blessed or, you know, the blinded eyes he opened, and, but him, his, his essence, his being, his character, his nature. So the fact that we don't hear Jesus preach is a, is a telling sign that the Holy Spirit is not in those ministries, is not in those lives. And let's bring it to a personal level. You know, do we have this kind of intimacy where Jesus is being revealed? At the end of the day, we're trying to be, we're being changed into the image of Jesus Christ. We're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Are we, uh, uh, do we have a cry for that kind of a, a change to be, conform into the image of Jesus Christ. It's, um, it's, a, it's something that is so rare, so rare, brother, nowadays, you know? So yeah. I just wanted to bring that forth. That's really good because, again, what we're talking about here and is, is what Solomon and the Song of Songs is revealing, is just who it is that the bridegroom is coming back to get. <laughs> it's this kind of a bride. It's this kind of a bride. It's not going to be everyone you think. Just because they hang a shingle over the door that says Christian, or they have the biggest cross in town, or the best video screens or smoke machines to set the ambiance because there is no spirit. It's not going to be all these people, man. We need to really, really ask ourselves, especially right now, because that's what this is. This is a prophetic chapter. And you're going to see in the next verse how precise it really was. And it's because what we see here, again, like Brother Fernando was talking about, and it's really tragic. Because if you do hear Jesus, it's usually like some little seasoning sprinkled on, on, on an hour message. He's maybe mentioned for 15 seconds just to legitimize a man's own thoughts and philosophies and concepts. I like what you said. We've become so cutting edge, you know, I mean, it's just stupid. There is no, there, there's no vibrancy. There's no sense that Jesus is amongst us and in our midst. Mm-hmm. So, so because of that, we 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 have we have bought into the lie that that it's about marketing or presentation, or 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 ministering to your to your needs. You know, like walking into the churches nowadays. If you're not handed a coffee and a donut, you think you're being, you know, abused. <laughs> You don't have coffee and donuts? I mean, what's wrong with these people, you know? Yeah. What were you saying? No, but Marty, the lack of vibrancy, as we're saying, is because of the lack of intimacy. And so, uh, and that's what the old-timers preached. uh, You know, it's intimacy. You know, uh, there was Mm -hmm. a prophecy many years ago that said that 
there would be a generation that would talk about God, but that would not talk to God. And, that, and that's yeah. very powerful. That that yeah. speaks about intimacy, and that's what's missing today. What we call vibrancy is hyping somebody up. That, that's what you're doing, right? Now we have right. a countdown before our services: ten, nine, eight, seven, six. Right? <laughs> Three, two. We're, we're hyping up. We're trying to create uh, something because yeah. we don't have the presence of God, and the reason why is because we don't have that intimacy that you're speaking that we're speaking about. Uh, as this virgin uh, who who had with with her with her um, beloved, yeah, and and that's what's being revealed, the true church. And and you're talking about that intimacy. She knows what to ask for. Like we said in verse five, I I will be sustained yeah. or stay me up. You're gonna sustain me and you're gonna you're gonna strengthen me. Uh, with flagons, that is, I will begin my process by learning the Word of God. <laughs> Intimacy begins mm. there, right? Yeah. I mean, and and I need to understand what it is that I've come into. You know why most people don't ever hear messages out of the Old Testament is because there's no spirit. It's just dried cakes of raisin. It's dead to them. Mm-hmm. They have no wine. They have no spirit. Wow. You know, Jesus told them what to pray for. And again, we're presenting this in the deeper level of prophetic understanding what Solomon was revealing about the early Gentile bride. She would instantly feel alone, isolated, but she was given information by the Lord what to expect and what to wait for. That's what we're seeing in verse 5. I need his spirit because by the time she gets to verse 7, she's completely different. In verse 7, she's declaring stuff. In verse 5, she's absolutely at the point of death and travail. But in verse 6, he shows up because what she's been Mm. praying for is the outpouring of his spirit. And when he comes, the intimacy is realized because she's now filled with the spirit. The sense of her bridegroom is, is at such a heightened level. I mean, we could dig deeper into the, you know, the the, the symbolism of holding my head and and embracing me with your right arm. I mean, that that's that's your soul, your head, and and, and the embrace is your spirit. You know, that's where he comes. He said, if, if, "I will come and live with you. We will send the Holy Spirit to you." It begins to talk about. It requires spirit for your thought and your soul. Your understanding more than just understanding the word. It's about the ability to to uh, to to have the proper thoughts, to have the the empowerment uh, to to deal with with outside forces that come against the very soul. Your your thoughts, your mind, your will, your emotions. The spirit has been sent to help you there. The left hand holds your head. The right hand embraces you. That's the intimacy of your spirit. The very most precious aspect of you is that which was born again. That's which was given to you by God when you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Both components can also be explored in that statement, but all of it is a work of the Spirit of God. We have become a habitation of God through the Spirit. That's why she makes the declaration in verse 6. It's like he's holding me and embracing me. Him. He yeah. is. The one that went away yeah. is holding me and embracing yeah. me. That's the intimacy that is born out of first what she knows how to ask for. What are you asking for? A new car? 
<laughs> what are you asking for? You know, a trip to Disney World? I mean, what are you asking for now? I mean, my goodness. She knew what to ask for. I need right. the Holy Spirit so I can begin to understand all the benefits that have been left to me by my bridegroom as he's brought me into his vineyard. And I know that out of that, what's going to be born is the New Testament by his apples, his apostles. I mean, I'm going to be comforted by that. I will have my own rest, my own bed, my own place of refreshing. The two are necessary, and it's only going to come if his spirit will come and inhabit me. And when he does, I will feel as if my Lord is holding my head and embracing my, my very being. That is awesome. <laughs> that's Jesus. Right. And that's who he's coming for. Someone that understands that. A bride that has become that. Okay, but then again, let's not lose sight here because in the prophetic flow of this chapter, he's revealing the early church. That 10-day period is that sick with love. He's gone. And because he's physically not present with me, I'm absolutely disillusioned. I, 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 I'm disoriented, like we talked about yesterday. I don't even know how to conduct myself. I'm at the point of where the only thing I can hang on to right now were the last words he spoke to me, which is, you wait here until my spirit comes. Book of Acts. That's what we're seeing here. So that's how why she knew what to pray for because of that. If you can see it, that's what's being revealed. And then when we get to verse 6, he comes. And, and he inhabits the church. And he said, that's how he would come to us. And so she reveals the early church, the kind of relationship she had with the Lord Jesus Christ. You read the writings of the apostles, all they talked about was Jesus. You read the writings in the book of Acts, what's revealed there? You know, it's Jesus who you crucified that rose from the dead. It's Jesus and faith in Jesus' name that healed this man. You know, it's Jesus, 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 all the way. Saul, Saul, who is it, Lord, that, that why do you persecute me? What's your name? My name's Jesus. I mean, that's the spirit. And that's what she begins to have immediately. He didn't leave her very long. It was only a 10-day period, but now we see it. And then when we come to verse 7, we see her transition. Because once the Holy Spirit is outpoured, she now becomes bold. You can't do anything without the Spirit. But once he right. came and, and filled the early church, look what we see here. Look what's being revealed here. She stands up and she says to the daughters of Jerusalem, mm. she, says, I, she says, I charge you. I charge you. She's full of the Spirit, and so what she begins to do is declare to the daughters of Jerusalem. And, and, and she goes on to give them prophetic insight. Remember what Peter did? He, he said, yes. this is that which is what? Prophesied by the prophet Joel, right? In the last days I'll pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And he says, and your handmaidens shall prophesy. I mean, that's what we're seeing here. She stands up. Yeah, it's, it's, a, to, it's the prophecy of Jesus where he said that you shall be witnesses unto me first in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. Oh, that's Samaria, good. Yeah, that's really to good. the uttermost parts of the world. Right. That's really good. Yeah, exactly. That's what we see. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem. But let's dig a little deeper here because when you look at the word, uh, I charge you, the word charge she becomes her own separate thing. Because the word charge, if you look it up in the Hebrew, 
It means to make a sevenfold declaration or to repeat the same thing seven times. It's a sevenfold oath that she takes. That's what the word charge, it's, it's in there. When I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking to you as one who has taken a sevenfold oath. It speaks of the church as its own separate entity. I'm charging you. I'm the one that's filled with the Spirit. I now have the authority to speak, and you don't anymore, daughters of Jerusalem. See, that's what happened. A separation took place once the Spirit was poured out and filled the early church. She became the authority and the declarer of the gospel. And she brings prophetic understanding and she brings prophetic declaration to the daughters of Jerusalem or Israel herself. That's what she does. She charges them. She takes her authority. This is a lot different than the than the bride of verse 5 who's sick, right? Who's at the point of death. Now she's fully filled with the Spirit. She senses and is filled with an ever-increasing awareness of her love who sustains her soul and her spirit. His left hand under my head, his right hand embracing me. And now she's full of the Spirit. And what she begins to do is declare her sevenfold oath, her sevenfold declaration. She's declaring, I have become part of a new church infused with authority, and I'm going to prophesy to you, Israel. That's what she begins to do. O daughters of Jerusalem, they have become witness to the church. They're surrounding and watching this now, right? They're in her company. She turns to speak to them. And the early church was surrounded by that early, <laughs> that Israel that is now viewing this one, this Gentile bride, and this bride uh, that was that will become the Gentile bride, really, in, in a metaphoric sense is now has the authority. But look what she says um, to her. She, she, she begins to prophesy to her, and she says, can you read that in, in verse 7, Brother Jeremy? I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love, till he please. Now we can, we can hear this and completely miss this tremendous revelation that was given here as to what the early church would, would in essence do and the results of it. When she stands up to prophesy full of the spirit, declaring her sevenfold oath, it's all in that word there, identifying herself as a separate and distinct unit espoused and engaged to the king. And, and so she becomes the full-fledged church once the Spirit has inhabited her. And she stands to prophesy and say something to Israel. But when she says it, she also exhibits her humility. Because she says, what I'm going to tell you, O daughters of Jerusalem, I'm going to do it by the rose and by the hinds of the field. That's very poetic, descriptive language. Because the rose and the hinds of the field, they are the most timid of the creatures of the forest. <laughs> you know, whenever you see a deer, you can scare it quickly. A, a, a male or female deer, they're, they're the most vulnerable. And so she's exhibiting 
her humility in what she's about to say. That's what she's saying. I charge you full of the Holy Spirit and strength and prophecy, yet I'm not doing it out of pride and arrogance. I'm about to declare something to you, and what I'm about to do, declare to you, I do it with all humility. And this is really important. Brother Fernando, do you have your Bible? Yes. With you? Can you turn over to the book of Romans, chapter 11, where you were yesterday? Because this is exactly what Paul said we were supposed to act like, just like she's acting here. She's using that language. Again, it's poetic, but it represents great humility, great timidity. As she addresses Israel, only she's now full of the Spirit and the true Bride of Christ when she speaks to Israel. And she, she does it in humility. And Paul admonishes us to do that. Can you read verse 17 through 21? And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear, for if God spare not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. So he's admonishing the Gentile church, the church of Jesus Christ, not to boast against her, not to exhibit this high-mindedness, right? Uh, and he's telling them, you know, <laughs> be careful how, how you're acting. And we see the early church beautifully doing this, and what was being prophesied, and that is what happened, because at first, right, that's, I mean, they were the most humble of all people. They were getting beat up, and, you know, they, they could have risen up and overthrown them, but they didn't. This is how she will be exhibited at first. Like what you read there, Paul admonished us and admonished us the, the bride of Christ. Don't you have an attitude against them? And she doesn't. She's full of the Spirit. She declares her sevenfold. She's about to function as that authoritative one who has taken an oath to her bridegroom. And she begins to speak to her, and she says, what I'm about to do, I'm doing it as as a row or as a heart. I'm doing this in humility to you. And what she goes on to say, having now established that she has the authority of the church, she's full of the Holy Spirit, and, she, and, and that's followed by the great humility that she begins to show towards the daughters of Israel. Why? Because of what she's about to say. She gives prophetic insight of Israel's coming exile and blindness. Because what she goes on to say in verse 7 is that I am now that, that authoritative one, and I'm going to speak to you, daughters of Jerusalem. I'm going to do it in the spirit of humility. But what I'm about to tell you is that don't, that ye stir not up nor awake love. If you notice there in the King James, they have a little italics, they're my love. So it could be her love or their love. Don't wake up love. What she's literally saying, the word that you stir not up, she's saying don't uh, that your eyes won't be open. In other words, not up. The word not up in the Hebrew means uh, to not open your eyes. In humility, what she's literally saying to her, stir not up, is that... <clears throat> You're not going to be able to see from this point on your eyes are blinded. Don't open mm -hmm. your eyes. 
This is, man. See, their their rejection of Christ is what Paul was saying is the reason we were grafted in. So don't be all high-minded about it, right? Because from that point on, it was just a few years later where the entire nation would be destroyed. The temple would be burned Mm -hmm. to the ground. And, 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 Mm -hmm. And the whole time up until now, they don't even know him. They can't see. They're blinded. And she's saying, I'm telling you this in all humility. You're about to be blind. Don't open your eyes. You won't be able to see. In the last 2,000 years, she was exiled. And that became the occasion of the Gentile church all over the world getting saved. But what she leaves them with is this. She says, your eyes will be shut. Don't open them. In essence, saying, you're not going to be able to. You're blinded. Nor awake. In other words, uh, to become awake with open eyes, she says, will not happen until what? Until he please, right? That's what she goes on to say. So she's literally prophesying to them the entirety of church history of the Gentile bride. Until he please, your eyes will be closed, and for all intents and purposes, you will be asleep to who he really is. That's what she's saying. And what I'm telling you, she says, I'm telling you in all humility, like the row, like the heart. There was an appointed time is what she was saying. And at the time that Solomon's writing this, it would be for the far future, the end of time. And that's what's going to be in the end of time. Brother Jeremy, could you turn over to Zechariah chapter 12? Because we're going to see what she was talking about, the appointed time. In the prophet Zechariah, again, what she tells her, she tells her as as the authority to speak on behalf of her bridegroom, I charge thee. She addresses the daughters of Jerusalem, Israel. She tells them, I'm doing it in all humility, but what you're about to hear is a prophecy of your destiny until he pleases. Your eyes are going to be shut and you will not be awake until he determines for you to be awake and for your eyes to be open. And that is the prophecy given by the prophet Zechariah. Read what it says there, Brother Jeremy, in 9 and 10, chapter 12 of 9 and 10. 9 and 10. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So what's revealed there is at the end of days, when when the daughters of Jerusalem come to this point where they're surrounded, the fulfillment of what the Gentile bride in the Song of Solomon was telling the daughters of Jerusalem will come to pass. Till he please, your eyes will be shut and you will be asleep. You won't see it. But when he determines it's time, he's going to pour out the spirit of grace and supplication upon you. That's when your eyes will be open. That's when you'll recognize your love. That's when you'll mourn for him. It's the triggering event. It's 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 when he pleases, she says to her, to them. 
that you'll suddenly see. Now, now we know that the church and Israel are going to be saved together. How do you know that? Well, look at, read verse 13 to us, Brother Jeremy, real quick. And we'll get into that tomorrow, but I just want to show you. They're going to be saved together. Yes. There you go. Of, of Zechariah, right? Of Song of Solomon, said, chapter 2. Song of, okay. Verse 13. Yeah. yeah. The, the fig tree put it forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. When the Lord returns, there's two things identified there, the fig tree and the vineyard. The vineyard is the church. The fig tree is the nation of Israel. They're one and the same. They're going to be saved together. And that's what she's revealing to us. And we're going to look at that tomorrow. We'll get into that really in depth because it's really profound what was hidden here. Because what the fig tree is Israel, the vineyard is the church. And, and in verse 13, he comes and tells them both to arise and to come away with him. So that's what she's saying in verse 7. After being in, filled with the Holy Spirit, swearing her sevenfold oath, I charge thee by that authority, she says. And she speaks directly to Israel and tells her, your eyes are going to be asleep. You will not be able to see and you will not recognize your love until he says so. And that's, in essence, what, what the prophet Zechariah said. I will pour out my, my spirit of grace and supplication upon her. When he determines, he will then open her eyes and she will look upon him and realize that this is her Messiah who for 2,000 years she has rejected and she'll mourn for him. See, what we're seeing here is the great privilege that's going to be given and has been given to the Gentile bride. Because the next thing that happens sets in motion the events or declares the events that's going to lead to this moment, this reunification of the daughters of Jerusalem with the Messiah, so that both brides will become one in his house. And that's where we transition to verse 8. Because once this long time period of verse 6, 7, and, and, and uh, uh, 5, 6, and 7 takes place, we now come to the end of time. Because the last thing she says, echoing in their ears, is until he pleads. When it's time and he determines that it's time, she says he will set in motion events that is going to bring you back to him. Hallelujah. And then that's when she declares in verse 8, the voice of my beloved, right? She begins to hear his voice. That's the end of time, church. She hears this by the Holy Spirit revealing it to her. She hears it, and then she declares what she hears. What does she say, Brother Jeremy, in verse 8? The, vo the voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. Praise God. So she begins to hear this end-time bride begins to hear, and it's followed by her message. He's coming. Leaping on the mountains, skipping on the hills. These are very descriptive terms because her message is that the Savior is about to come. My bridegroom is coming. I hear my beloved's voice. What I hear is, behold, he cometh. But he's coming, uh, leaping on the mountains, skipping on the hills. 
this is very descriptive of 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 judgment because that's literally what it means and and when you look deeper into into the symbolic language here it likens to what was revealed in the book of revelation she identifies mountains she identifies hills she identifies him as leaping upon them and skipping upon them the word skipping means to bring judgment or death or to gather your feet up as if you're going to die and and so she sees him she hears his voice she declares he's coming and in her message she also reveals he's coming to judge the world the mountains that she's referring to there could quite possibly be the seven mountains that are referenced in the book of revelation chapter 17 verse 9 because those seven mountains represents that beast system that is rising even as we speak today they are the compilation of mountains descriptive of empires that have existed since the beginning of nimrod all the way through the roman empire and and they come together at the end of time precisely at the time she begins to recognize and hear his voice and declare he's coming wrapped up in her message is not only jesus is coming but he's coming to judge the whole thing the mountains the system and the nations that follow it what her revelation is is it's time she reveals and knows that his coming is eminent that's why she goes on in verse 9 can you read verse 9 brother jeremy as we come to a close here today my beloved is like a robe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. So what we have is her declaration, the voice of my beloved. She begins to hear. And I don't want to rush through this. I know we've been, we're at about an hour now, but I, I just want to say this. What is happening right now around the world? What is going on? around the world is the culmination of a last hundred and a few years or so, 105, six, seven, 10 years now. And, and what we have been hearing and what we've been sensing, even the early church in, at the beginning of the 20th century, they began to hear his voice. They began to hear the voice of the beloved. See, the Spirit of God has been revealing now for several generations or several decades, really, that Jesus is coming. But what we are witnessing right now take place around the globe is precisely where I believe we are in this chapter, is that the, the characteristic that will mark the true bride is that she will begin to declare this message, he's coming, behold, he cometh. That's what we were studying two weeks ago when we were looking at the parable of the ten virgins. At midnight, a, a voice is heard or a cry is made, behold, he cometh, right? The bridegroom cometh. It's the same language. He's coming. Only Solomon reveals by the Spirit of God what she says. He's coming to judge the system, the mountains and the nations. He's bringing death to them, life to his church. It must conclude. It has to conclude. It has to reach its end. Don't think that, I don't know what your Christianity is about, you know, out there. But I pray it's that you're looking toward the heavens and the return of the Lord, because that's what being born again is all about. 
we get saved, we get filled with the Spirit, we begin to go forward and preach the gospel, and, and one generation has been promised that that generation would not pass away until everything in the book of, of, of the prophets be fulfilled and the, and the return of the Lord takes place. That's what we see happening. And she hears his voice, and she declares his message. It's a message of hope to his church. It's a message of judgment to the ungodly. It's both. And it will be how you identify what to listen to and what to follow right now in your studies and the leading of the Spirit. And how she describes this is amazing because first she talks about him being like a row and a heart. In this reference, what she's saying is, he's, I hear his voice. He's coming. He's going to judge the system and the nations, she says. And he's like a roe and a young heart. That literally speaks of youth and speed. The roe and the young heart. She's talking about youth and speed there. And and so what she's literally saying is that not only is he coming, I've heard his voice. Not only are we declaring he's coming, but he's coming to judge a system in place, the mountains and the hills, and it's coming quickly, like a roe and a young heart. So what are you saying? What are we saying? We're saying he's coming quickly. What we are witnessing right now take place on the earth, and I'm not an alarmist, but you know what? If those if those knuckleheads can march in the street, burn down uh, buildings, steal from people, shoot people, take over police departments, throw statutes in in the Chesapeake Bay, and 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 march with their rainbow colored flags and and all the madness that they're doing right now all over the world, then I can come out boldly and tell you Jesus is coming and it's all going to come to an end yes. quickly. Yes, I don't back up from saying it. It's time for the church to come out of their closet, for goodness sake. It's time for you to quit being so timid in your faith. We don't have time to be messing around. We need to prepare an ark for the saving of our house. We need to be bold in our declarations. We need to declare to our neighbors, to our friends, to our loved ones. I don't care what they say to you. I don't care what they look at you. If you can save them and bring them by the gospel of Jesus Christ into that everlasting kingdom, I tell you what, they'll spend a million years thanking you that they made it through because you cared enough to lay down your pride, to lay down your 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 estimation of, of oh, my gosh, I don't want to offend anyone. If you know him, we are being compelled and pushed forward. Time is running out. The problem is is that most people don't have the spiritual quality or character or depth enough to have the strength that has been ministered to them by the Holy Spirit because they've never spent time with the Spirit. They've never spent time in prayer. They're not in the Word, so they have no clue what's going on, and they have no strength to wrap their head around the prophetic times that we're living in. But not this bride. She hears his voice, and she knows what to say, and she knows it's eminent. And it's going to come quickly. You're going to witness these days accelerate. You think you've seen some things now, brothers and sisters? You ain't seen nothing yet. Nothing. It's going to get worse. And it's going to happen quickly. And when the dust settles, it's going to be a world and global reset. And the freedoms that we've enjoyed will no longer be enjoyed. 
because they have come to rest. That is the judgment of the Lord has come to rest on this land. God's not doing this to us. We've done it to ourselves. He's removed his presence. You go study the book of Ezekiel and see how he progressively leaves his temple. It's systematic. So where all is left in Jerusalem before it was judged back in the day was was people that were just simply overwhelmed and overrun with a society that once called itself uh, uh, believers in God to now so corrupt that they were basically not even welcome at the temple or even could go there. But in their own houses, they were sighing and crying and vexed by what they saw in their land that was once a land that, that served God from Dan to Beersheba or from Washington to California, if you will. And, and God sent his angel to mark them, to preserve them up underneath what would ultimately culminate with the burning of a nation, but the saving of his people. And how she describes this is amazing. She begins to have this great knowledge, this insight. Remember what Paul said, you're, you're not in darkness that that day that we're talking about should come upon you unaware. We should be aware. We should know. You can hear the great nervous excitement as she begins to realize, right, what Brother Jeremy was just reading, as she describes what she sees. She says, he stands behind our wall. She's talking about, uh, she now goes into some really amazing depths when she says, and we're closing right here, but she says, she, he's coming quickly and he stands behind our wall. This is a judicial term. Standing, the judge always stands. You know when he get when he issues his verdict. So she begins to sense and understand that that he is standing up now. He's been gone a long time, but she knows now. He's on his way. She can sense it that 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 the king is stood up. And and the wall that she's referring to is very profound. It's the wall that separates us from from him. The earth is where we are. But the wall that's being referred to is the vastness of the second heaven, the universe itself. It's the veil between us and heaven. It's the interim wall between our house and his. It's our wall. It's the only thing that separates us. And she says, but he's standing and she can sense it. And that this wall that's between us, it's about to come down. She sees him standing, and, and, and then she says, he looks forth, right, at the windows. Uh -huh. So not only is he now stood up to judge, which lets us know that you can almost hear the, the <laughs> now I'm getting melodramatic here, but it's always like the stables of heaven. You know, the angels are throwing the saddles on the white horses, and they're pawing at the ground, man. <laughs> I mean, he's standing. I mean, Hallelujah. He's Hallelujah. Yes, yes. Glory to God. They're getting ready. That's what she knows. She knows it. And, 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 and that wall that's between us isn't as vast as it used to be because she can see him. The veil is, is coming in and out. I mean, it's beginning to blur. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is revealing this to her, and he's going to reveal that to you and to me and to all who are crying out for him to come back and get us out of this place. 
He begins to realize. It's what the Apostle Paul, it's what the Apostle Paul said when he said, "How we see through a glass." Praise God. That's right, brother. Deal within with that, or he divides so to speak, and as the coming of the Lord gets closer, it becomes more of a reality. We become more the things of the spirit approaches. Praise. That's powerful. That's exactly what she says. She he says he looks forth at the windows. She sees him standing. The veil or the wall between us is shrinking. He's close. He's coming quickly, she's saying. But how she first sees him, he's coming to judge. And and, and then he's portrayed as looking forth at the windows. It means that he's he's looking from those mysterious dimensional openings those access points between the veil of the spirit and the natural. But what he's looking at, what it literally means, the word look, it means he's looking and, at the earth with incredible intensity. He's looking at his bride, and he's looking at the nations of the world. Because his bride, he's coming to take. His, the world, he's coming to judge. And what's really cool is she goes on to say, and now he sh- he's also showing himself through the lattice. Are you there? Yes. Lattice. What that means is now he's revealing himself. What she's talking about are the signs, the omens, the the many ways that he speaks and reveals to himself. She can see him in everything that's transpiring now. That's Mm. what's happening to us. Right. We we know that, that, that all hell's breaking loose on the earth, and especially in this country. But those natural violent signs and the you know, all the crazy stuff, the attacks on the churches and, and all that stuff that we see taking place right now, the violence in the streets, the pandemic, the virus, the teetering economy, the, the, the nation divided. I, I, I saw someone point this out the other day, and I thought, my God, that's right. The biggest flag in the world is the United States flag. It was like the size of a football field, and I forget what state it was flying over. The other day, uh, just before the 4th of July, they had the some of the strongest storms flow, go through there and ripped that flag in half. And, wow. it, and they don't... It's the largest flag in the world. It it, it takes an entire warehouse just to house the flag. The stars on the flag are five feet high, seven feet wide, just to give you an idea how big this flag is that they fly in the Midwest. A storm went through there the other day just before the 4th of July and ripped it in half as if someone grabbed it with giant hands and ripped it in half, and half of it flew away. So she says, I can see him. He's showing himself through the lattice. That's literally what she's saying. While the world sees all this going on, what I see, is it any is it any wonder that what's, what's actually being revealed to the church is what Jesus told us to look for? There'll be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, on the earth, the stress of nations. He's showing himself, and that's what she's saying. He's showing himself through the lattice. Tomorrow... Mm-hmm. Tomorrow we're going to pick it up from here. Uh, and we're going to see a most extraordinary thing. Because what is, what is being concealed here is, is that mystery. 
She knows that he's soon to return. She knows he's looking through the window. She can see him in all the ways that he's showing himself through the lattice. She discerns it, but to the world, they don't discern it. And to the backslidden church, they can't see it. But then comes verse 10. Read that, Brother Jeremy. Yes. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Praise the Lord. What is being revealed here? Now look where she's in this frenetic description, right? He's coming quickly. I hear his voice. I'm preaching, you know, here he comes to judge. He's going to come fast. I see him standing as the judge. The, the, the wall between us is, is suddenly shrinking. Uh, he's looking at the windows. He's do, and she's talking about all this stuff, the lattice. You know, he's showing himself with signs and wonders and all kinds of things. And then suddenly he speaks to her. This, the mystery is though she has, you know, she's been discerning all this. Yet when his voice comes while she's looking at all this, he speaks to her. His voice comes suddenly from his home to now he speaks to her and now he comes to take her away. I mean, this is, this is, this is, we don't know the day or the hour, right? It's going to come suddenly, but we've been awake the whole time. That's what she's done. She's been awake the whole time. And and now she's discerning, which is where we are right now. I'm asking you, can you see, do you understand yeah. what's happening? Because when we least expect it, while she's viewing all this stuff and while we're looking at all this stuff, he's going to speak and say, come away with me. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes. Glory to God. He's coming quickly. That's where we are in this story. He's about to appear and rescue and we're going to talk about that tomorrow. We're going to look at some of the other scriptures that, that's being revealed here. Because there's two times that he says, rise up. One, he says, rise up. And one, he says, arise in verse 13. But there's an 11, the 11th verse, a winter and a spring in between. And we're going to talk about all that because we're nearing those days. Not too many days ahead of us. We know what he's revealing. And tomorrow we pray by the Spirit of the Lord that we see a most marvelous thing that's going to come to pass soon. And really what we're asking, right, is can you hear him? Do you see mm. him standing by the wall? Do you see him looking through the windows of heaven? He's showing himself mm. through the lattice with all kinds of signs and wonders and events. He's been speaking and revealing himself to us if we have eyes to yeah. see. If we have ears to see and eyes to see it, ears to hear, man. Jesus is coming. And I can't wait. <laughs> oh, praise yeah. the Lord. It's almost like he's he's uh using the whole world as a billboard uh to to tell us he's coming. But again yes, what we what we want the listener to under, to understand is you can't expect this or people you can't expect for people to see uh these signs that cannot relate themselves to this bride yes they cannot they cannot relate themselves to this bride only the 
bride knows what we're talking about here. Only his Praise true bride. Praise the Lord. Yeah, that's, and that's who the Holy Spirit is speaking to. I, I've come to the conclusion, brothers, and I, I, know, I know you have too as well, that this is not for everybody. Yes. Sadly, unfortunately. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, right? His, his banner of love is, is the cross. He loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is for those who have an ear to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit is saying. It's that Spirit that's the left hand, right, that, uh, that upholds our head. And yes. It, and it's, it's him who reveals that right hand, Jesus Christ, and who embraces us. Yes. That's, Jesus said, he said, I will not leave you comfortless. And the Holy Spirit will not speak about himself. He's going to, he's going to speak about me. He's going to speak about yes. Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying in this hour, that he is coming. The one who came is, is so powerful because we're getting, we're getting insight and revelation concerning the church from, from the, the revealing of Jesus' ministry. And, and when he chose his disciples and when he told them, I'm leaving, and, and we see their reaction to when he leaves in the book of Acts, you know, and, and this 2,000-year <laughs> period, you know, it's all there in the, in, in the Song of Solomon. Incredible. So it's all there. The Holy Spirit mm-hmm. hid it for us to 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 understand it and to reveal it to us. You know, we who have the Spirit, right, can understand these things that are hidden in the Old Testament, right? The the Old Testament yeah. is 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 the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Yes. Why do you think the Holy Spirit is revealing these things unto us? Because we are his bride. We are that bride. Open our eyes to things that have been concealed for hundreds of years, thousands of years. Thousands of years. And it's now being revealed unto us in these last days. Powerful. Praise God. (laughs) Amen. We praise God for his word today. Um. It just uh it's been such an eye opener and that we can see. You ever think about that? Those that are listening that, that we could find prophecy in the book of Song of Solomon. For so many years we thought this was just like a little love letter or a Romeo and Juliet type of story. No, it's much deeper. God is revealing the end to us. He's revealing the process, the development of this bride that he's coming for. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That you are being you're being encouraged and that you are being challenged in this hour to 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 be sick of love. Hallelujah. For <laughs> our beloved. Amen. May God bless you. May God keep you. And keep looking up. <laughs>